Welcome to Agile Engineering. A podcast covering subjects like DevOps, Agile, Development, Cloud, and more. Featuring Liam Gulliver, Pete Gallagher, Louise Paling, Misha Bell, and Jonathan Ralph. With Charity Majors. Welcome to the Agile Engineering Podcast, episode number 12, I think, at this point. In this episode, we're going to be discussing how can we measure the effectiveness of engineering teams or their efficiency. Uh, and joining me, as always, are my co-hosts, Jonathan Ralph. Hello. Louise Paling. Hello. Misha Bell. Bonjour. Pete Gallagher. Hi there. And on this episode, we have special guest, Charity Majors. Hello. Uh, so Charity is the CTO of Honeycomb and the self-proclaimed agent of chaos, uh, <laughs> as we discovered in our preamble. So Charity, for a start, what is a measurement in this context? I'm somewhat cynical about these things. I, I believe that measurements, um, metrics, in, in whenever you're describing human systems are really tools that you have for arguing to your management. It's, it's an abstraction, basically, between you and upper layers to advocate for doing the things that you know need to be done. And it's also a tool, it's an abstraction that they use to try and get you to do other things that they think need to be done. It's basically a shared upon language, right? It's like your API between human systems are these metrics because they're all arbitrary. They're all bullshit at some level, right? Then the magic is in describing and agreeing upon a, a level of bullshit that you can all kind of squint and someone agree to deliver. It should be real enough <laughs> to get the job done. But like, no one should ever feel like the metrics themselves are holy or handed down from God or anything other than slightly disguised bullshit. And I describe myself as an agent of chaos only because I'm a little bit out of my depth here. I am never the person who's like, let's have metrics. I am always the person who's like pointing holes in the metrics, which is why my co-founder has not entirely affectionately called me her agent of chaos, usually when it comes to discussions. <laughs> but I believe that there is a place for people like me at the table too. So here we are. Pragmatist. I would probably call yourself a pragmatist. <laughs> Definitely that. I think there's, there's definitely something to, to be said for poking holes in measurements and, and metrics, because how otherwise, how do we improve? If you don't understand them, they're meaningless. They're worse than meaningless. They are things that you are working towards without understanding, and you can ruin your business that way. Very much so. I wholeheartedly agree. I'm coming at it from a very different slant of recruitment, and we have wholly different terms for different things, somewhat more traditional, but something that I've taken up as you <laughs> in the company that I work at, in that like we we have KPIs and you know targets and stuff, but quite often I keep saying that the measurement itself, like the the KPI itself can be gamed. Like any measurement can be gamed. Will be gamed. Not can be. Yes. Will be. There's this famous quote that's like, says as soon as, I don't remember, somebody here probably does, but like, as soon as you have measured something and made it a goal, it will be gamed. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, it's true. So what I've decided to do is, because I'm leading a little team, like within the company. And so instead of looking at the KPI itself, I've actually said that I'm going to start taking in like and putting more weight on the ratios so like for us it would be like a CV sent to interview to offer 
and the ratios between those are much more telling than the actual target itself. Otherwise, you're just like, the number of it resumes I get, woohoo, it's soaring sky <laughs> high. But if you're not actually converting yeah. those into actual offers, then it's actually worse. Yep. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, I did some work for a company when I first started the company up. And they were sharing a single Excel document. They make clothes for people like Tesco's and, and Sainsbury's and companies that maybe charity might not recognize, but big sort of uh, supermarkets over here. Mm. Anyway, there was 20 people sharing this Excel document and they had a critical path they had to go through from design to, to deliver. And the team leaders, three or four of them, used to take this Excel document and game it before every week's meeting and then ungame it after the meeting. And it, it took a consultant accountant to go in and spot this. And then they removed the Excel document and I got some work creating them an application that, that removed that possibility. And people's job relies on this perhaps yeah. each week. And if you're underperforming every week, perhaps it's not even your fault, but you're not in a position or that you can feel as though you can stand up for the fact that those particular KPIs are wrong, impossible to meet. And that was the case for a lot of these things where there just wasn't enough time, mainly because the customer end of the transaction there was causing those KPIs to not be met. But they felt responsible for them, mainly because the management above them made them feel that way. This is a really important point. And, and at Honeycomb, like, we're just going through our round of like setting goals for the next year. And last year, Christine and I made a huge mistake, <laughs> which is we kind of like went off to the mountain and came up with what we thought should happen and then came back and presented them to the team. We're like, what do you think? The team, like, bless their hearts, you know, a bunch of them were new and they were just like, ah. in retrospect, we're finding out that they were just like, we can't do this. What the hell is this? You know, and they went off and they made some kind of crazy choices because they were trying to meet these goals. And, and the lesson we learned from this is that the goals have to come from the teams that are actually tasked with, you know, we can provide the direction. We're like, we think that this is important. We need to invest in this. But then the reply of, but what can we actually do has to come from the people who are tasked with those results or they're not going to feel ownership over it. They're going to lose confidence in you. They're going to think you're out of touch. Like this is a handshake deal. Like it has to go back and forth and back and forth. And you can't, you're, you have to be very careful, like how far you lead people out onto a particular plank before you actually ask for their input. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree. It does need to come from the people who are going to be doing it as well. But even then you need to understand that the system will still be gamed. And it's not necessarily conscious. I think that's the other thing. Pete's example was very much yes. somebody consciously gaming the system. But when people are even doing it with the best intentions, you're yes. still going to do it. Classic example is developers with velocity measuring the story points. Oh God, yes. Uh, story points is a way of deciding how big a bit of work is. So if you call a bit of work a story in Agile and you just give a fairly arbitrary number, there's like a modified Fibonacci sequence of numbers that you pick which ones they are. So is it a, a size one, a size two, a size three, five, eight? They don't mean anything, they're just comparatively. The classic problem with velocity is it's supposed to be used to forecast. You're supposed to say we do 40 this sprint. That means we know we can do 40 every sprint. We know we've got however much on the backlog. It'll take us however many sprints to complete. As soon as you hmm. say this team does 40, all of a sudden, no, no, that's a target. You need to keep doing 40 or you need to do more than 40. And as soon as that's out there and people are aware of it, even if they're gaming it subconsciously, they're going into their planning and sessions and they're thinking, is this a five or an eight? And they completely convince themselves that it's an eight. They don't, they don't think they're gaming the system, but they start oh. to. 
it's not really about gaming at that point. It's about we're creating a world of abstractions for people. And like, there's a lot of power in that. You've created this world of abstractions, so it governs how people think. And they're not trying to play you. They're not trying to like game the system, but they're just working with the abstractions that you've given them. I just want to go back a little bit uh, on, on something that, that both Louise and Charity mentioned and almost touch a little bit on, on Misha's question around what is velocity. If you've got your team who are saying, yeah, okay, that that's great. Here's what we can do. How are you measuring that success? We think of it like boulders and pebbles, right? Like we've got projects that are boulders, we've got projects that are rocks and projects that are pebbles, right? And and these are features we're trying to ship. But a thing that often happens is, you know, a team gets pretty good at, you know, figuring out how quickly they can ship and, you know, they can fit all of the rocks of various types onto their forecast, but they aren't actually paying attention to like table stakes things like, reliability, for example, or, you know, the amount of technical debt in the system. And it creeps up because it's not actually measured in the metrics of how quickly are we shipping features? How much value are we delivering to customers? You know, because it doesn't actually include the entirety of the experience from the user's perspective. What about when what you think is a pebble actually turns out to be a boulder in disguise? Or, like, or if it's not, maybe it is a pebble. Maybe there's just a lot of pebbles, but then you've shipped like a thousand pebbles and you realize that, you know, there's an iceberg in right straight in your path and that the entire boat that you've been constructing is, you know, built for tropical waters and, and not for icy seas and it's defenseless against the iceberg. You know, there are these problems that can just kind of creep up on you because they are externalities almost. Do you think this is easier with computer-generated metrics than human-generated metrics? Are we saying that people game systems because they are optimists or maybe not have enough information? Do you think that computers generating metrics are any better? No. If anything, they, they just perpetuate like whatever decisions we've made. These are just abstractions that we're creating for people. They aren't being gamed, they're just being used. And any system, any abstraction that you gather is necessarily going to be incomplete. And so, like, we, we can fuss about how much better to make them. And I think that that's mostly going to be diminishing returns. And instead, we should think about how to deal with imperfect metrics. Yeah. So just a little bit ago, you said that you went up to the mountains and then, like, you know, proclaimed from on high, like, what was meant to be done. And then your team went, ah, no, we can't really do that. How did you change? What did you implement? And how did you find out that actually they couldn't do the things that they said. Well, we found out six months later when I was just like, why can't we do this? Because it makes perfect sense to me. And they're like, well, this doesn't fit into the model that we've made to try and reach these crazy goals that you set us. And I'm like, well, you didn't tell me those were crazy goals. And they were like, they were crazy goals. So I was just like, <laughs> so this time we told them which direction we were trying to go in, right? We're trying to nurture from bottoms up stuff. We're trying to get more adoption and, you know, individual developers and small teams and stuff and then we sat and shut up and we waited for our teams to go off and think a little bit and come back to us and go this is what we think we can do and then we're like cool add 30 percent to that <laughs> it's also like at, at the at the top the company level like we really want all of our all of the goals that we set to be cross-functional you know because like then it gets broken down into the individual teams like coming up with their own metrics but like a, a metric for us at a high level is something like very abstract like win the observability war right? Like, what does that mean? Well, that means different things for sales. It means different things for marketing. It means different things for product and engineering. And we're still in the process of watching everyone, you know, break that down, figure out what it means for them. But it's going a lot better because, and I know it's going a lot better because we're seeing a lot more participation. <laughs> People feel like they cool. have ownership over it and excitement about it instead of just going, 
what is this goals process? Key fact, if people seem disconnected from your goals process and checked out, you're doing it wrong. I think in terms of how you're sort of measuring that based on, on what we just talked about just then, and a, and a more sort of general thing around that is, granted, it could be complete nonsense and it could be completely cliche, but it's my understanding metrics are something to spot check at any time. So you, at a glance, see what the health of your thing is, but they aren't a stick with which to beat people. Right. And I, I think there's a lot of people that fall into the trap that if something's being measured, it's there to say, well, if it's not above this line or if it's not at this figure or, or whatever, you're in trouble rather than, right. okay, well, what's, what's going on and what can we do to, to help solve this? It's a way of understanding it. Yeah. I think that's quite an important point. We usually start, unfortunately, with what can I measure? What, what are the things I can count? What's the easy stuff? What we should be looking at is what behaviour do we want to measure and then figure out how to measure it? Or even better, what behaviour do we want to improve? What behaviour matters? Yeah. And, and like Charity says, that you're not going to be able to measure it perfectly. You never write. A measurement is just an abstract thing. So it doesn't matter that it's not perfect, but you do just want to measure something that gets gives you the idea of what that behaviour is not just this is the easy thing to measure yeah yeah i think that's interesting yeah i think it also comes down to like the motivations behind the people who are you know looking at either qualitative or quantitative metrics like liam said are they looking to like beat the person over the head with them or are they looking to use those metrics to help that person because metrics can be used the other way instead of like you know gauging performance like from how well is someone doing to like is this person suffering is there something going wrong that we need to fix and address and yeah i think the motivations behind the person is is really important to know and understand have you seen elf the movie buddy and the action sketches that's what this is <laughs> all the other elves are making lots of them but buddy is not making lots and he's fired and I think that's a really bad motivation and it's really dangerous, just like Charity said and, and Risha hit on and Louise there. If you take those metrics and you use them as a way of grading people almost, then I think if you've got one standard metric, that's not going to work for everybody because everybody's got a strength in one area that perhaps they haven't in another. The whole point of hiring a diverse team is that you get unique qualities. So if you have one set of metrics and grade everybody by it, I think that's completely unfair. To play devil's advocate, though, surely it is important that we're able to measure how well people are doing. As long yeah. as you don't take your best team member and say, you should be doing it as fast as this person, because yeah. not everybody can. People have different roles on teams. Yeah, and that's okay. This is why I think it's very important not to measure individuals, but to measure the output of teams. Mm -hmm. um, mm. Like, I think the Dora report metrics the four metrics like i think they're extremely good at describing how high performing a team is you know time elapsed between when you've written the code when the code goes live how many rollbacks there are how long it takes to recover um fourth one i'm blanking on but like it's you know just the basic health checks of like because like shipping software is like the heartbeat of your team like that is the heartbeat of your company if you're a tech company that's 
my friends at Intercom like to say, and I think they're absolutely right. And if your heartbeat is wobbly and faltering, like there are so many things that proceed from if those metrics are poor, like if, if it takes you a long time to, to ship code, it will have paged out of people's heads. Like they won't remember what it was. It won't be active. Mm. They won't remember what they were doing. Uh, that will take much longer to find the bugs. If they weren't writing code, you know, with an eye to, you know, instrumentation, like, like if you get that, that feedback loop really tight and virtuous so that the people who are getting alerted or the people who just wrote the code, who know what it's supposed to be doing, then I, then like, there are so many virtuous things that follow from that. I think that you can measure teams that way, but then within the team, there are so many different, like one person might not have, but might write tons of lines of code, right? And like maybe 30% of it is garbage, right? And and it has to be recovered from it by, by their other team. Maybe that's fine, right? Maybe you've got one person who has almost no output, but if you take them out of the team, absolutely, absolutely everything falls apart, right? Like, and this is where I think that like engineering is a craft right? It's not a rote skill. It's not a mechanical skill. It's a craft. And this is where I think you have to have confidence and faith in your engineering managers to be able to discern who is doing what work and to promote or, or not promote accordingly. Like, I think that you can hold teams to these metrics, which can be compared from team to team. But within the team, I think it comes down to individual managers' judgment, which is why I do think that it's not unreasonable to expect engineering managers to be technical, to be able to do code reviews, to be able to discern valuable contributions from non-valuable contributions and to be able to debug these very complex socio-technical systems and improve them to make those, you know, those, those four metrics better. So just on that a little bit, we talked about comparing teams. I once had a manager who wholeheartedly felt that conflict between teams and potentially individuals was a good thing that ended up in netting better results. Well, exactly. So I think it's probably worth, in my mind, pointing out that whilst you're comparing teams, you know, you're not comparing them in a competitive sense. It's not an adversarial sort of thing. No, it's like, what can we learn from each other? Yeah. Not a, we're better than you, get stuffed. Now, if you're, say, Facebook, you're going to get limited utility from comparing, say, the ads software engineering team to like the build and release team like how many lines of code do they write you know that's that's just a stupid comparison but like i have seen teams learn a lot from each other just like how do you use these tools what are your best practices how do you integrate with you know sre or production engineering or you know if you leave every team on its own to learn everything from scratch you're just not going to get as good of results as if you encourage people to learn from each other and the more alike two teams are the more you know cross-pollination of ideas you should encourage it might make sense for the managers to go look at their metrics and compare to each other and go how come your time to shipping is like you know less than 30 minutes and ours is like three days like what what's the difference there i think there's a lot to be fleshed out and learned there do you think that maybe that that's almost the foundation for growing conversations that are based around looking at outcomes rather than you know what's what's going on underneath the hood it's that results driven improvement i guess so if, if team a is is like you say is okay great yeah we can ship every day and we're doing it really successfully we've got a low change failure rate and team b doesn't have that is celebrating the fact that team a is doing well by those measurements the thing that can trigger those conversations could be i mean it could be i mean it, it bears asking the question you know it could be a good thing it could be a bad thing it could be irrelevant like you don't know until you go and look I do like the idea you, you put there, Liam, of measuring by results. 
but it still depends what results you're measuring. You went on to talk about people who are releasing regularly and well without failures. That's great, but what if the thing they're measuring actually isn't that valuable? Uh, so it, it's going back to that, actually, what is the important thing here and trying to get your measurements to, to reflect the right um, behaviour you want to see. It's, it's no good having a team who's constantly releasing something that, that works fully if no customer is ever using it. Do you put more of an emphasis on comparing like team performance in some v- variety as opposed to like individual uh, you know performance? I'm not a proponent of comparing individual metrics huh. at all. How come? I think that they're like they're too different. I mean, engineer it's a craft. If you have you know two craftsmen who are building, one is building armchairs and one is building you know stools. Like comparing them is just there are ways of like guiding them, of coaching them, of making sure that they're improving, that they're on the right path, all this stuff. But it's a very personal relationship. It's a very customized one. It's very unique to the person, the team that they're embedded in, the work that they're doing, the stage of their career that they're at. And and I think that that's irreducible complexity. Interesting. Because something that I've found in my line of work, um, like that when teams are compared, like, so there are a couple of things. So first off, there might be one superstar in a team that is just carrying the rest of the team. Um, so how do you account for that? And sometimes there's one asshole who looks like a superstar because he's picking all of the easy work and just like looks glorious, but actually is like holding the entire team back because he doesn't collaborate. And and it can look very similar. And it, a lot of it depends on what, like, what you're looking for. I don't know. Like, I feel like anytime you're getting down to like lines of code or like individual metrics, it's like, I want to flip it around and go, okay, would you like to be judged on the number of lines of emails that you write every day? Because they're exactly as meaningful. It's, it's just bullshit. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I see your point, but like, how would you account for that though? Like, you know, if there's one bad apple in a bunch of a team um, and and that's affecting like the performance of that team in comparison with another team, like surely it would make more sense to look at the, you know, how they interact. This is the engineering manager's job. It is literally what they're paid to do. <laughs> it's if there's only one job they have, it's to root out bad apples. It's to make sure it's to be responsible and accountable for the team's performance as a whole, as a unit, right? And this is why, like, you need to have. It's it's a job that involves a lot of trust. And your engineering managers, I think, will propagate your culture more than any other role. And you need to make sure that they're on the same page. Like you don't want to have the same this situation where every person at your company has a very different experience of your company based on who their personal manager is. Right? You want there to be some consistency there. You want your engineering managers to know what you value and for your values to be good, right? And then you need to make sure that they're skilled enough to to execute on it and that involves some technical some social some socio-technical some tooling like the whole yards yeah so you could have two people in seeing one person who's just not really good not a, a good performer at all and then you could have another person who individually doesn't look like they're that strong but actually they're the person who lifts the rest of the team up helps other people trains them and it doesn't show up on the metrics at all purely by (laughs) metrics those two people look the same and that's why you need to separate yes you do want to compare people but you're doing it as a human in a, a thoughtful kind of way not just by looking at the numbers 
and questioning your biases too. I think it's very important that, that we remind managers we all have biases. We all do. And it's much better to like acknowledge them out loud and like note when you have them. Like one of the things that I learned from Emily Nakashima, who I who I work with, who's my VP now, who she's so good at this. She's like, you know, it, she just asks out loud, you know, when we're evaluating a candidate, she'll say, hmm, and yet, you know, evaluating this person, you know, as being higher than this person based on these things is a very classic, you know, psychological thing that, or, or a pattern that is done in our industry, and is that what's going on right now? And just by, like, saying it out loud, she really gives everyone permission to have biases, <laughs> but, like, to openly question them, and, and that's okay, like, because that's, that's, that's your job. Yeah, I'm almost... I don't mind having biases because if you're aware of them, the conscious biases, you can counteract consciously. Exactly. It's the Everyone unconscious ones you need to be aware of. It's the ones you don't question that are that are scary. Yeah, that was badly worded. You can't be aware of unconscious biases. <laughs> you need to make yourself aware of them. Stop them being unconscious. And encourage other people to make you aware of them. Yes, very much so. In my mind, you know, it's all... It's stuff that's absolutely essential to, to progress and to evolve not just your teams in terms of your uh, delivery teams or your management teams, but the business as a whole. But and I know that there are a lot of businesses out there who, who would struggle to see past the numbers, see past the metrics in, into anything more than, well, this team A has hit 50 on this metric and team b is sitting 20 here so what is it, it they don't see the the i guess the context behind those different numbers is the thing the, the wording i'm looking for so how do we more effectively as a management tier because i guess to an extent most of us are all managers in some way here, how do we bubble up that context to make it more obvious at a glance it is absolutely engineering leadership's job to protect, to shelter, to advocate for, to make sure that our people are properly compensated and respected and valued. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> what metrics do you use? You don't need to use metrics. It's a fair point. I mean, I guess that does tie nicely into something that Jonathan mentioned to me that he wanted to ask. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prompt him to ask that question now. It's kind of leading away a bit from the people side and more towards the... I often find that I go to DevOps events and conferences and stuff and, and I see vendors throwing big data and just get all your systems to issue all the data and you can collect it in this big bucket and the assumption is that your mind later can be wasteful if you don't know the questions you're going to be asking. So where's the balance between well, we'll collect it just in case it's useful or we don't really know what questions we're asking of our systems. This is an enormous question. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> an enormous question. And I think the only right answer is going to be a local answer, right? For that particular system, for that particular type of question, for that particular type of team. There is no global answer to this question because it is the question of data. Yeah. Yeah, so I suppose it depends normally answers most questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, generally, I would say start with the why. Uh, like Charity says, it does depend. It always depends, and you need to do what works for you. But generally speaking, if you just collect the data, as we said up front, as soon as you start collecting something, people will assume it's being measured and it will affect their behaviour. So if you know it's going to affect their behaviour, 
start with what behaviour do I want to change and make sure what you're collecting will change behaviour in the correct way. So, for example, the, the example I gave up front of measuring velocity and having people trying to game that, whether they're doing it consciously or unconsciously, you can change that by instead of counting story points. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the graphs of plotting story points against forecast and how much work is done. And it turns out you can forecast the, the graphs look the same, but the scales, the labels on the axes change, whether you're measuring story points or whether you're measuring a count of how many stories you've done. So if instead of measuring story points for your velocity, you measure how many stories have we done, people will still game the system. But at this point, they'll game the system by saying, hey, I can break that story down into smaller stories and then I've done more. Well, that's great. We want them to break stories down. So if you start with that why, decide what behaviour you want, you pick a slightly different measurement you might get a slightly different behavior in that unconscious gaming of the system. I mean, I guess that, that, that gaming of the system can work in two ways as well, though. It could be not so much that the, the team is gaming it to fit the result you want, but you could game the system almost unconsciously to interpret those measurements as this is what I want it to, to be doing. You, could, you don't have to actively cook the books, so to speak, to make those numbers fit the story that you want to tell. Because you could draw that out however you wanted. Yeah, I, I, I think my opinion is I, I tend to find that people aren't actively looking for ways to circumvent measurements. I think they are, you know, in some respects, we keep using gaming the system quite a lot in this episode. But in, in many ways, I don't find people are actively going into their day jobs going, right, today I shall try and find ways of inventing this way around this problem. I think in some respects, people don't understand what they're being you know, measured on sometimes. And maybe that proves it's the wrong measurement rather than necessarily that people are trying to I mean, obviously, Pete's example was a case of where people were actively trying to avoid being criticised. Sometimes you'll see people doing stock market results and suddenly a company will announce a £500 million loss and you're like, where the heck did that come from? And it's clearly they're just trying to game that system rather than just slowly saying things are going bad. They just want to drop it in one go. Generally, I find that metrics are useful, but I think it was interesting going back to Tom Hoyland's point a couple of episodes ago where he said not all metrics have to be visible to the team. You might collect them, but actually sharing them openly might actually affect how you approach solving a problem. Does that not introduce a new potential issue then? So I guess the, this idea that I've been wrestling with, especially over the last sort of couple of weeks where I've been talking about similar things with businesses and teams, does that not introduce the idea of shadow metrics? You know, are these things that are being collected that could potentially be seen as almost underhanded in a way? You know, we, people could be collecting them for, or seen as collecting them for nefarious reasons if they aren't providing that transparency. You mean a bit like when you get IT policies that say we could monitor your network activity, but people are then worried what their browser history is being looked at. And in fact, it's just a standard clause that's added to most contracts and nobody's really looking at what you're doing yeah potentially i guess you could gather everything if you wanted to you know um but i don't know if this is the right example but i know that that charity has a really good definition of monitoring versus observability but i think it was another <laughs> another twitter thread a little while ago where i think you're saying charity you don't need to log absolutely everything right. you, know, you don't need to get all of that stuff out because what's the advantage of logging everything? Because it just becomes noise. 
right? It's important from an observability perspective that you be able to find out not necessarily the, the what the code is doing wrong, but where in the system is the code that is doing something wrong, right? So you're gathering data at the right level of abstraction so that you can slice and dice, ask any question, describe any internal state of the system from the outside um, using your tool. So I guess where I'm, where I'm going with that is when we're talking about the measurement of team effectiveness and efficiency, is it more that we want to be looking at the, the almost the observability of a team rather than the monitoring of a team by using that, that sort of similar definition? I like that way of looking at it. Yeah, another way of looking at it is that observability is for like systems in motion and monitoring is for like systems at rest. Yeah. Um, it's for the unknown unknowns versus the known unknowns. And and I think that you're always going to get higher fidelity, higher value out of being able to describe, you know, unknown situations than just setting thresholds and, and monitoring for them. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's 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 definitely a good way to look at it. Because ultimately, and going back to your earlier point, the, the people are systems, you know, there's, there's that human API between teams and everything else. So... I, and it sounds really sort of cold and clinical the way I'm describing it. No, I don't think it is. I mean, and, and teams are even more complex systems. Every single one of our systems is, is this complex socio-technical snowflake. It's like no other system in the world, right? The combination of teams, people, tools, and production that you have right now will never again be replicated at anywhere in the world. And it's shifting from second to second. And understanding and debugging these systems and trying to coax them gently towards performing better by certain outcomes is really hard and it's really interesting and this is why we get paid lots of money right but it's 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 fun but like there's no recipe book there's no rule book you can't take google's playbook and just like fix your system using google's tools like because it doesn't work that way it was built for a different snowflake one of the most interesting metrics that I've seen is at the end of sprint reviews where you find people and just asking them a simple question, how happy are you feeling? And even tracking that over time has actually been quite a good way of reflecting on a team's effectiveness just by how is your mood is one of the simplest questions to ask of, of a team. It, it's, it's very good at monitoring the basic, like, how effective are they, but it doesn't give you that information to dig in and understand why or why not or how to make it better, right? That's like a monitoring question, not an observability question. It's a great health check. Maybe you should be doing it, but it's not going to let you dive down into it and slice and dice and go, okay, why, right? And, and uh, like, I don't think that like monitoring is bad. I think monitoring is a very mature set of tooling and, and practices that we should, you know, use in many situations. Um, but it's kind of a fundamental, you know, facet of monitoring is that you can't can go from the high level to the low level. So maybe you need to ask additional questions so that you can debug it and understand it and, and improve it. Talking of uh, favourite metrics, I think one that I really like is that what the value of what a team is releasing. It's so easy to to measure how fast they're being released, or even how happy the team is, or how well they talk to other people. It, it's quite easy to go insular and look inside, but that what is the value of what's actually coming out there? And I was once in a, a review we had in one company where we were doing entirely subjective views on various aspects of different teams and one of the many things we were scoring was what value did we think of the, this team's output and there was one particular team where it wildly differed 
and it turns out that different people were judging this subjective thing very differently and it raised questions where some people scored it particularly low as to okay the team is doing a great job they've done everything that's asked of them they've put it out well they've put it out on time on budget updates no failures but actually there were some people saying well, yes but when you actually look at the big picture the stuff this team is doing is just not as valuable to our customers our end users as the things these other teams are doing and maybe we should actually be asking should we repurpose what this team is working on so sometimes those entirely subjective measurements are really useful especially when you take a step back and are looking at the big picture stuff yeah I don't know how this works like in engineering and especially not over the pond, but if you, um, you know, don't use traditional kind of like metrics and stuff to measure performance and things like how, how do people like move up like the seniority ladder? Like, is it on like length of tenure? How do you decide like how effective or, you know, efficient they are that would warrant a promotion or increase in responsibility? Well, you have a job ladder. And you describe the functions of each level, and then you match performance to to the job ladder. How? Do you mean like how are you measuring that performance? Mm-hmm. It's back to the engineering manager needing to know their people and and know how to look at it. If everyone is doing exactly the same job, in theory you should be able, looking at them in exactly the same way. But within that job, pe different people will have different strengths. So in your field, for example, you might find there is somebody in a team who you know, normally everybody takes everyone from the start through to the finish, but maybe you suddenly find you've got somebody who's just terrible at getting CVs through the door. But my God, that person is amazing at prepping somebody before they go to interview. Um, you can't use the same measurements on that person as you do for everyone else. So this is the whole, you've got to look at different kinds of metrics at that point. You need to get that manager's view of where people's strengths and weaknesses are. Uh, yeah, you just need to, to look at it from that kind of point of view. Don't you but, use one metric to measure everybody. But I guess you still get stuff like the like progression frameworks and that kind of thing, or career development side of things. And I guess for most roles, at least traditionally, you're looking at... I want somebody to be at this sort of level in skill A and this sort of level in skill B, but you know, the skills C and D, we can, it doesn't matter which way around they are, just one of them needs to be strong before they move into a senior role or something like that. Um, That's kind of what I'm saying though. I mean, like, you know, as Charity like mentioned earlier, like, you know, you don't need metrics. How do you figure that out? Like, how do you know? <laughs> I don't, you have to be an expert at your craft. I mean, you, you, you have to understand what you're doing. Like, it's it's just sort of irreducible at some level. Okay. There's argument that there has to be a measurement of something somewhere. You've got a team of people and they all have their own set of key objectives. And are they hitting those, yes or no? Those objectives can be different per person, tailored to the person. But it becomes to me at least it becomes very black and white at that stage of have you hit these objectives yes or no and if they haven't then they aren't performing at the level i'd expect them to be but no one person had the same objectives yeah i think the cool. the, the theme i'm picking out of this discussion is more that people are difficult to measure because we are squishy emotional weird meatbags exactly <laughs> that, that therefore, in, in many ways, it's a bit like the credit industry trying to rule your l borrowing life based on a number rather than actually knowing you as a person. There is a tendency, in, especially in an IT 
world where we want to measure everything as a cold, hard, yes, this is working or no, it's not, that in some respects we can't apply metrics in the same way where we're managing people because we're dealing with humans, not machines. And so in some respects, trying to chase measurability is a pointless, not pointless task, but is also a, you're possibly wasting energy. There are limitations. Yeah. So you probably would stick some metrics in there, but you'd vary them as you understand what people's individual strengths and weaknesses are. So you might be, I mean, I really hope you aren't, but you might be looking at the number of lines of code somebody puts in. But as you realise that actually somebody in your team is more somebody who supports other people, you might actually pivot that metric and say, well, actually, how many much they personally log isn't the important thing. Actually, it's it's the amount of time they're spending training other people. I mean, both of those are terrible metrics, but. Metrics are dangerous when they, when they lead us in the direction of trying to rely less on human judgment. I think that you have to respect good judgment and you have to have good judgment. And, and if you try to like weasel out of it by like using metrics as an excuse for it or as a replacement for it, the overall performance and coherence and, and morale of your engineering team will suffer. And metrics are used best when they're used to, as evidence to buttress and, and defend and justify good judgment, not when they're used in replacement of it. I guess in that in that regard, you know, data is great. But we can find data to, to say anything, literally anything. Yeah, for sure. But I, but I guess where I'm, where, I'm, where I'm going with this is is that without, and again, it goes back to the point that we were talking about earlier, where without the context to that data, it's, it's just a set of numbers that can be gained. It's just a set of numbers that we can turn around and say, well, your number's lower than this person, so they're not as good as other person. Um, or team or, or whatever but without the human element ultimately to it it becomes a very very dangerous place and I think that's why delivery teams and individuals can start to see that, that metrics aren't a they don't see it as a measurement or or as a okay well how well are these things doing they see it as a stick to to beat them with it's not it's, there's no characters it's all stick yeah it should be an indicator yeah yeah Gotcha. Unfortunately, you. having to, had to manage through redundancies, I got to a horrible place where I had to decide who in my team would be made redundant. We only had space for a certain number of uh, people with a certain job title. And I spent a long time trying to come up with a set of metrics that we could objectively measure people by to, to rate them. And I just failed miserably. Eventually, I had to say, I, I can't do it. We've got people who are good at this programming language and then other people who are good at that programming language. We've got some people who will go out and speak to end customers and be able to, to write specs, or as other people wouldn't say boo to a goose, but are amazing when you sit them down in front of the computer. I can't just look at numbers and, and compare against. And right. I had to go with uh, interviewing everybody instead. I just I couldn't find a a purely objective numbers-based way of doing it. We tried to make the interviews as numbers-based as we could because we, we did need to be able to compare in some way, but we weren't able to do it just by looking at a grid of numbers and key skills. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, my, my job is, like, wholly people-based. Like, I mean, yeah, numbers are used just as indicators and stuff. Um, so I fully get behind that, and that's how I think metrics should be used, and hopefully that is how people use them. But I just, you know, I think that metrics are necessary to have some kind of indication of what's going on. But yeah, it shouldn't be, as everyone said, beaten over the head. 
it's true yeah i mean but i think there's an element of sort of based on what louise was saying where people and stuff that charity's been saying as well where people are all different and they they all bring something to the table and that's how you build an effective team you know if you just had clones of everybody it would not it wouldn't be great it would actually have a, a more of a detrimental effect um which kind of brings me to what i want to ask you pete because you generally work alone how do you measure your success yeah you say i work alone uh, it's a funny one really and, and that's kind of the key point is that i try not to so obviously i've got several different customers and i will very rarely do a large batch of work and not let them know how i'm getting on for me metrics are more for planning than they are for measuring my success so obviously the first thing that a client will ask me if they've got a batch of work is how long it's going to take aka how much is it going to cost yeah. and i never ever give a quotation i always give an estimate which some people fail to understand the difference there but uh, it's almost impossible to quote a time people take a quote as you are a, a plumber and how much is it going to cost for you to fix my boiler well that that's a known almost quantity of work and nearly always the same uh, at least they'll have come in they'll have had a look at the, the plumbing and decided that yeah okay I, I know how to do that whereas nearly all of the time the stuff that i'm doing is snowflake stuff it's bespoke to that particular project and all i can do is give them an estimate based on the information they've given me at that moment in time. So that's fine. And we can start that way. And those metrics are then broken down essentially into the, 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 the key deliverable parts of the job that they need. And I, I estimate based on my known experience at that moment in time. And I will call out quite often. I'm quite honest with clients. If I don't have domain knowledge of a particular part, I'll say, well, this part here, I've just put a guess in because I've got to go and, understand how this how this relates to the, the job that you've given me and then as i go along i will report back on those key deliverable parts i'll try and give it to them in pieces as well so that i can deliver early so that mm -hmm. we can keep moving those times so it, very rarely will i will i be working on a project for years that evolves over time it's nearly always you know the most perhaps three months and so mine is a very very sort of a macrocosm of, of what maybe a bigger team that's working on even an internal product or an external product that they are maintaining will be able to then learn over time and you know unless they're going to have a rewrite or a change of uh, platform for a system or something they will probably have quite a lot of experience to be able to go back and pull that that wealth of knowledge and, and history and decide pro probably quite accurately even not even the individual people more the engineering manager would be able to just look at that team and go yeah so long as they're technical enough, I'd, my estimate would be quite accurate. I wouldn't even need to ask my team how long this is going to take. Sure. Um, and then go to the mountain and come back down again and have your team shout at you. But, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's been a really good discussion overall for, from everybody around the working from home table on how we can measure the engineering efficiency and effectiveness of teams. A huge thank you uh, to Charity for getting up as early in the morning as you have to join us here um, as uh, we started recording 6pm our time. But let's let's go into key takeaways. Jonathan? I think for me the most important thing was listening to Charity's underlining of the importance of engineering management not being beholden to metrics and actually needing to take responsibility for 
their own people decisions and getting to know their own people and not hiding behind numbers. And I think for me, as I started off in development, and it's very easy to to want a nice clinical unemotional answer to problems by assuming that a number will tell us what to do next and in many ways we are going to get the best out of our people by knowing them personally and understanding what they bring to the table and not just looking at a cold spreadsheet and so for me it's been a really good reminder from from listening to charity's experience about that people needs to be a people-centric process yeah, I think I would echo that really. The kind of the human element in managing humans is always going to be necessary. I do not welcome our potentially new computer overlords. I think that they should be used to help us rather than to rule us. Thank you. I think, well, I'm hoping my key takeaway isn't misguided, but the whole snowflake idea of everybody's different and also not trying to apply metrics to individuals, that's kind of what I took away uh, from that. Apply it to the team, but don't use those exact same metrics to try and decide whether or not individuals in that team are performing to the level that you'd like. I think get your, as Jonathan said, get your engineering manager to make human decisions about the humans that he's managing there based on his knowledge and experience of those individuals. Or she. Sorry. Did I say his? Well, absolutely yeah. pull me up on that. Sorry. No, don't apologise. Absolutely wrong. I mean, we we were literally talking not long ago about calling people out on their bias, and I think that's a, that's a yes. prime example. Perfect, perfect. I think the the big thing for me was charities' phrasing of measurements are just abstractions. I think that's so important to remember that the measurement isn't accurate. It isn't the thing. It's just a, a proxy for the thing, and it's there is evidence to to back up the human judgment. It does not in any way replace it. Obviously, we've already talked about the bias in this wrap-up. I thought that was a really great example we had of having somebody willing in a group to, to actually stand up and say, are we being biased here? This is a classic, this bias. I think that's very important. And really interesting how to bring that into a talk on, on measurements and metrics and actually can we be looking at metrics being biased? And I, I think actually the biggest thing uh, is, is something that, that Charity said early on of if your people are disconnected from the metrics and the goals, then you're doing it wrong. So I think I'm going to take that away and, and think about how I get people more connected and interested in the metrics and what, what goals we're setting. Thanks for that. Charity. Yeah, I think for me, I'm still chewing over the issue of ownership as well. You know, like any time that a metric has been imposed upon you by someone else, like you're going to feel some amount of resistance or sullen, just like acceptance, you know, but you're never going to feel like enthusiastic ownership over it. And I think that this is kind of the tricky dance of, of management, right, is like to influence people. Anytime you have to use your authority as a manager, you failed in some really catastrophic way right because anytime that you've used your authority to make it an outcome happen um it means that you're doing it without enthusiastic support of the people who are actually doing the work and you know this is something that i am still trying to figure out but it's very important to me because i would never ever want to work at a place where metrics were imposed upon me or where i was told what to care about 
and yet you can't have 100% of people weighing in on every single decision, right? So sometimes it's about earning trust to act on your own. Sometimes it's about, you know, creating checkpoints, I think, to create buy-in. Sometimes it's genuinely about giving up control and letting other people, you know, decide or, 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 or tell you what to care about. And it's, it's very challenging, but important. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think my, my takeaway is sort of mirror charities to an extent there. And, and the discussion we were having earlier around the observability between teams and individuals rather than measuring that is a huge thing. And I think switching to that sort of way of looking at things without trying to <laughs> put a pun in there is is it's going to be hard but i think it's ultimately the right thing to do because you're focusing on you know what's what is the the, the thing that's making it a, a success it's not about the numbers it's about the context and how it's used used in flight rather than uh you know like we were talking before around being at rest what we care about is autonomy mastery and impact right and metrics shouldn't shouldn't be detrimental to those, right? We should be looking for ways to help create autonomy and to help create mastery and to help connect people with the impact of their actions using metrics. Yeah, couldn't agree couldn't agree more. Um, so uh, thank you once again, Charity, for coming on the podcast. Oh, my uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you here. I think that's that's by far. Um, one of the most interesting and engaging discussions I think we've had on the podcast so far, and we've had a, we've had a lot of really good topics, um, and I'm sure we could we really could talk fine. about this for for hours more. Um, and of course, uh, you're 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 welcome back on the the podcast anytime, and we absolutely owe you a lot of coffee for getting up this early in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Once we can all fly around again, I will take you up on that. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Agile Engineering Podcast once again. Let us know your thoughts on how you can measure your engineering efficiency and effectiveness by getting in touch with us uh, on Twitter at, at Agile Eng Podcast. You can go to our website, agileengineeringpodcast.com, or you can contribute directly to our GitHub repo for topics, which is at github.com forward slash Agile Engineering Podcast. As always, if you enjoy listening to the podcast, you can help us to develop it further and uh, sort of fund our plans for world domination and video content uh, by going to patreon.com forward slash Agile Engineering. Uh, I've been your host, uh, Liam Gulliver, with my co-hosts, Pete Gallagher, Jonathan Ralph, Louise Paling, Misha Bell, and special guests, Charity Majors. And we will see you again next time. <laughs>